Hi there, folks. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode of E Pluribus Unum. Today, we are going to talk about Friends, the TV show. Well, only the theme song and only the first line of it. I love Friends. It is my official vacation show. I didn't watch it a lot as a kid because when it was originally on the air, I was way too young to watch it, at least according to my parents, who were very strict about the kind of shows that I watched, but I've now seen it a few times through. This was a topic that was already on my mind, and then Friends brought it to attention, and I thought, okay, I really now have to talk about it. But the theme song, the first line is, so no one told you life was going to be this way, your job's a joke, you're broke, your love life's DOA. So you're in your mid-20s, and life sucks, and no one told you it was going to be like that. So I've been thinking a lot recently about how young people aren't told or taught that life is going to be hard. And then life is hard and they're thrown. And I'm talking specifically about kids in the U.S. and other countries where they lead lives of extreme privilege compared to other people today and also, of course, to people throughout history. And it seems like they're really thrown by the fact that there are bills and they don't always get the job they want, and things aren't fair, and things are hard. I think there's a huge disservice being done to kids by not explaining that uh, life isn't fair. Life is going to be hard. It's not always going to be easy or good or fair. Sometimes it will, and sometimes things will be going your way, and it will be great, and then sometimes they won't, and we have to build up the internal strength to deal with the times when it isn't. When I was a kid, if something wasn't fair and I complained to a teacher or a parent and said, oh, that's not fair, the response was, well, life isn't fair. And maybe that seems like a harsh thing to tell to a little kid, but is it harsher to not be honest about the way the world works and then let a kid become 18 or 20 or whatever age a kid finally leaves the house and then realize life isn't fair? And I'm not saying to take away childhood from children. I think children should be allowed to be children for as long as they're able. Some kids, unfortunately, have to grow up really quickly because of the situation at home or the situation in the place where they live. And, and throughout history, childhood has not always been a, an easy, fun, beautiful time. But it now is, for many children, especially in this country, those years of imagination and growth and fun and being carefree are good and should be cultivated because they come to an end all too soon. But a child can be prepared for that end instead of being smacked in the face by it. One example, and this is a little personal, I'm not a big fan of sharing. Sharing food, I've never been a big fan of it, or I should say I've never been a big fan of being expected to share. I never liked it in school when I would pick up a basketball and start playing with it and then some other kid would say, oh, I want to play with the basketball. And then the teacher would say, Emily, why don't you have it for five minutes? And then Billy can have it for the next five minutes. That really bothered me because I thought, well, I got it first. If he wanted it, he could have gotten it first, but I got it first. Why should the amount of time I play with it be dictated by this third party? Now, if the teacher said, Emily, would you like to share? How long would you like to play with it until you're willing to give it? to Billy, that's a different situation. That's allowing me to share, but not forcing me to share. God can expect us to share, and he does. He expects us to give charity. So God can expect us to rise above our natures, absolutely. But for other people to expect us to share, I've always found to be not so much unfair to the kid who's forced to do the sharing, because even though it's annoying, and again, I always thought, well, if I got it first, then I shouldn't be told how I have to share it. On the other hand, it is good to teach children 
to share and the idea of being generous. But I think we do actually a disservice to the kids who are being shared with because what we're telling them is, don't worry, if you don't get to the thing first or if something doesn't work out for you, they have to share with you. It's going to work out for you because it's not fair for you not to have it. So don't worry, we'll find a way for it to be fair. And that's just another way of raising kids that's not preparing them for life, that sometimes they won't get to the basketball first and they'll have to spend all of their recess doing something else. It might not be their favorite recess, but then it can be a lesson to them to tomorrow go to the basketballs first before having their snack or trying to make friends with the person who has it so that they want to play a game with them. The problem with telling kids, don't worry, we'll figure it out and you'll be shared with is that we're not, we don't allow kids to problem solve, which maybe is a problem with a lot of what happens with the kids these days. We don't allow them to problem solve because parents love their children more than anything in the world. And they don't want them to be hurt or to be sad or to be any negative thing, which is totally understandable. But again, if we don't allow our kids to feel some of those bad things when they're young, then when they feel them when they're old, they're really not going to be capable of dealing with them, but the hurts are going to be much bigger when they're old than when they're little. The inability to deal with it could have much more dire circumstances. It's about not being prepared for the world and not understanding how the world works. And we should be preparing young adults and kids for a world that is often harsh and cruel, which doesn't mean that there isn't beauty in it and wonderful things. There are beautiful things that are in nature. There are also humans who are good and kind and wonderful, and there's art and there's music and there's good food. To prepare kids for the world is not to say that there's nothing beautiful in the world. The world has both, and some people's lives seem to be more blessed than others, but it's still important to raise kids to be aware of how the world works so that they're prepared. Along a similar vein, I was talking with a friend recently who told me about, I can't remember if it was a class of kids that she was with or that a teacher was explaining this phenomenon to her, but the phenomenon was about Jewish kids who grow up, like grow up in Jewish homes and homes that love Israel and are traditional. And then as they get a little bit older, they learn more about Israel and they become totally disillusioned with Israel and hate Israel and think it's a terrible country. That, of course, made me think about kids in the U.S. who grow up in elementary school, in public elementary school or private, and you, know, you learn about George Washington and you learn about slavery and you learn about civil rights and the Berlin Wall coming down, you know, you learn about a few big events, and then you get to college or these days even high school and you learn more history and they start to hate the U.S. I was wondering why I wasn't those kids. Because I grew up in a Jewish home that loved Israel and then went to college and learned terrible things about Israel. And the same thing about the U.S. I grew up in a home and a school that taught, that truthfully taught the U.S. with all of its beauties and all of its flaws. But you do learn history differently when you're 11 than you do when you're 20. So there were things that I could learn about when I was 20 that were harsher truths than I learned in elementary school. But it didn't change my opinion of either country. And I was wondering, bear with me on this, but do you think it's possible that people on the left actually have a higher opinion of the United States than conservatives do? So hear me out. Because again, using myself as an example and other people I know as an example, I still love the US. I love Israel. And I know that they're good and just countries in a world that is full of not good and unjust countries. But I'm also aware that they're not perfect. And 
the governments of both countries have made mistakes. The people in both countries have made mistakes. They don't have blemish-free records. This goes along with the idea of not being prepared for the world, that kids in maybe homes that are more liberal grow up, I don't know, do their, I, this one I truly don't know. Do their parents not talk to them about it? Do they have this idea that something's perfect and then they realize one little thing is wrong, so then it's, not only it's not perfect, but it's it's evil? I, I really don't know where that comes from, why learning some new information would disillusion people so entirely instead of saying, oh, wow, this is new information and more information. But I had, like, why does the bad new information negate the good previous information? Why can't the two be taken together? It's just another indication of people not understanding how the world works and realizing that the world, there's almost nothing perfect in the world. God is perfect. Disneyland on a rainy day, when it's very empty. That's pretty perfect. But there are very few perfect things in the world. And the US and Israel, they aren't perfect. And I don't I don't think they're ever taught as perfect. The US is certainly not taught to be perfect. And I went to private school and I went to public school. And yes, we learned the heroics of the Revolutionary War war. We also learned about slavery and Jim Crow and and about the broken treaties with the Indians. So there's there's no covering anything up there. So I also don't know, sometimes when people say, we never learned this in history, I don't know what schools those people were going to, but definitely learned the bad things that the U.S. did in history. And people also say that they want to know the names of more black people, and they want to learn about more black people in history. I could probably only name for you white people and black people in American history. I don't think I could name any Jews that I learned about, in specifically in American history, any people of Hispanic descent, any people of Asian descent, by name, you know, we learned about the Chinese that work on the railroads and the Japanese internment camps, but someone by name? This is something when I say I don't understand and I, tr- I truly don't understand and I don't know what schools these people are going to when they say, oh, we didn't learn about this in school. If you didn't learn about it in school, then you're going to a rotten school and that's just the truth of it and go to a private school or a charter school, yay, school choice. Anyway, that was a little bit of a tangent, but I do think that conservatives have a more realistic view on life. I don't think I ever thought the U.S. was perfect. I don't think anyone ever told me the U.S. was perfect or even intimated that it was perfect. But people did tell me that the U.S. was the best. And the best is very different. Perfect means that you are filling certain criteria. If you are X, Y, and Z, you are perfect, period, end of story, you're perfect. But best means compared to what's around you, you're the best. And I always understood that the U.S. wasn't perfect, but that compared to everywhere else, it was the best. The best place to live for pretty much anyone. For a Jew, for a woman, for a black man, for someone of Asian descent, someone of Hispanic descent, gay, straight, young, old, America was the best. Not perfect. And that's a big difference. And that's a really big difference. Best versus perfect and how the world really works and what life is going to throw at you. It's just really important. Raise people so that they know life isn't going to be perfect. If one expects life to be perfect and then it's not, no wonder people are depressed. I feel so much for people who are depressed. I know that I am blessed with a nature that is positive and that I'm able to see the good in things, be grateful for what I have. And I know that that's my nature and I'm blessed with it, but I also think that it's due to the way I was raised to be grateful, to count my blessings, and to understand how the world works. So I don't really have a specific takeaway for that, like a call to action like I do sometimes. 
other than something to think about. I wanted to talk about one other thing just because I happened to be scrolling through the TV today and this came up and it was such a, it felt like parody, but it wasn't. I was watching apparently the Real Housewives of Atlanta. So let me set up the scene. Four women who are black, age range, let's say like 20, it's like 45 or something, maybe 30. I don't know. It was, it was a range. They weren't all the same age, but somewhere in that age range. And they're sitting in a jacuzzi. One woman is smoking from a hookah. They have alcohol around them. They were all very beautiful. It's a Real Housewives show. So, you know, everyone's decked out and it's a beautiful jacuzzi connected to a larger pool and it's a nice, it looked like it was someone's backyard. Anyway, and then they're sitting around and they were talking about Jacob Blake being shot and how they couldn't believe that sort of racism exists and what kind of country they live in and the oppression and how hard it is to see people who look like they do die every day, which I thought that was a weird comment because I think any of us could find people who look like us being killed, unfortunately, here or anywhere else in the world. Talking about how sick they were of hearing these stories of black men being killed by police. And then it cut to the end of the scene. Someone brought them alcohol. They completely dropped the subject. Then we went into one of the women women's lives and she was talking about this new house that she and her husband I think just bought and it was 9,000 square feet and she's wearing this gorgeous almost ball gown when they cut away to just her talking which was interesting it was a lavish house and she was dripping in wealth that's why I say it was like parody because you have these four women who are at the height of privilege in terms of wealth talking about how hard it is to be a black person in American society. I don't know if the producers told them, look, we're filming right now, uh, so you got to talk about this stuff because if we don't, people will protest or whatever. So maybe they just had to talk about it because it felt so fake. These women dripping in luxury talking about how hard life is for them. I know that people will make the argument, well, white privilege isn't literally about money because yes, there could be poor white people and rich black people, but it's about some sort of systemic idea of of how they're treated, BS. Just because people make that argument doesn't mean it's true. The women living like that, they were living in privilege. And the fact that they are black probably has pretty much no, if any, bearing on what they've been able to do in their lives. They're on TV, so I'm sure they're known. You know, I'm sure they have followings on social media. People like that often have clothing brands and cosmetic brands and fashion designers want them to wear their clothes. And again, a 9,000 square foot house. It was just so shocking to watch because it felt so fake, them talking about it. Of course there's racism because there are people and there are people who are going to be racist and hateful and prejudiced in all sorts of ways. And that is something that we have to deal with because there are bad humans in this world. But for these women who were living that lavishly to talk that way, black women, black people in positions where they have made it in terms of finances could really do a lot of good for not just people in the black community, but really people of any community and explain First of all, if there is some sort of systemic oppression against them, then what a beautiful story of overcoming adversity, what role models they could be for anyone who's facing some sort of problem like that to say, yes, there are problems, but you can overcome it. We overcame it and here's how, instead of saying, oh yeah, life is just so hard because, well, clearly it wasn't you made it. So what, do you get to escape but no one else gets to? So people in that kind of position really have an opportunity to do so much good that they just throw away. And they also just look so foolish because they, the way that they were sitting in their jacuzzi, smoking hookah and drinking, talking about serious issues, it just seemed like a joke. Like they didn't really care about it at all. Even if I don't agree with their position, on the subject, please take it seriously. It was weird. Anyway, there's nothing on TV to watch people. That's basically what I've learned. Anyway, thank you so much for listening. Can't wait till next time. Today, I hope you'll try with me. As J.M. Barry said, let's all try being a little kinder than necessary. Thank you for listening to E Pluribus Unum. I hope today's episode made you think or brought some clarity and positivity to your day. 
Subscribe to the show to always get the most recent episode directly to your device. Please leave a rating and a review and share the show with your family, friends, or anyone you think might benefit from a little Torah wisdom and conservative thoughts. For more of my thoughts and ideas I share from others, please follow me on Instagram at conservativejewishfemale or read my blog conservativejewishfemale.blogspot.com. The intro-outro music is Chopin's Waterfall Etude. Have a great day!